us, we think about it as the 3.0 joy span. What's the point of living that long and being healthy, fit and active and mobile if you're miserable, if you're not having fun, if you don't have friends, if your family doesn't talk to you? And we felt like that conversation has kind of not been in the conversation in our world. And we wanted to, you know, bring it back to joy. and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here with Colleen and Jason Wakab today. Um, We have not caught up in a while, so we have lots to talk about, including a new book that is out today. But a little background on them first. They are co-founders and co-CEOs of MindBodyGreen, the leading independent media brand dedicated to well-being with 15 million monthly unique visitors, which is pretty incredible. Colleen graduated from Stanford with degrees in international relations and Spanish, spent 10 years working at Fortune 500 companies, including Gap, Walmart, and Amazon, before devoting her life's work to MindBodyGreen. And Jason, who I've had on the podcast long ago in episode 43, has his degree in history from Columbia, where he played varsity basketball for four years. He's also the host of the Mind Body Green podcast and bestselling author of Wealth, How I Learned to Build a Life, Not a Resume. Um, They live now in Miami, Florida with their two girls, Ellie and Grace. And as of today, are co-authors of The Joy of Wellbeing, A Practical Guide to a Happy, Healthy, and Long Life, soon to be another bestseller. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Oh, thank you so much. It's such a it's so great to see you. We miss you. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm excited to to catch up and next time in Miami to see you guys in person. I, you know, I was thinking back as we were getting ready for this podcast and been a long time since we've seen each other. A lot has happened. We first connected for the 2016 Mind Body Green Revitalize conference. And then I came again the next year in 2017 and obviously had Jason on the podcast, but So much has happened in all of our lives in the last six years. So much has happened in the world. So much has changed in the world of of wellness and in the world in general. And so I was telling you before we pressed record that I saw the topic of this book and I was so excited because I feel like this is so much of my own personal journey and path over the last few years and also what I talk to patients about every single day. So I'm excited to dig in, but, but thought maybe we could start first with your own experience and what led you down this path of wellness? Because you each have very, you know, for many people, it's usually a personal experience that brings them to the world of wellness, alternative medicine, um, off the conventional path. And I think that's true for both of you as well. So, you know, I, I think my why has changed with the the birth of our two young children and just me getting older. I'm, I'm 48 now and men in my family have a terrible track record in longevity. My father died of heart disease at 47. And my two other, my two grandfathers, uh, one died of heart disease at 49 and the other of cancer at 44. And so I want to stick around for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I do believe in epigenetics. I, I do believe we have the power to turn on and off genes through lifestyle modification. So I believe that family history stops with me. And I also know that I'm not unique there. I know that we all 
everyone's got a family history, whether it's cardiovascular disease or cognitive decline or cancer or diabetes, what have you. So I'm not, I'm not alone. And, and for me, it's personal. And with our kids, it really hits home. And so, you know, I think where we sit today over the past 14 years of My Buddy Green, the conversation of longevity has advanced so much. And we view the 1.0 of longevity, you know, let's just live for as long as possible lifespan. So let's say let's live to 100 years old. And then health span was the 2.0 where, well, if you want to be healthy and fit and mobile for 99 years, 11 months, 30 days, and then rapidly decline over 24 hours or die of a heart attack. <laughs> Doing something really exciting, like jumping out of an airplane. Or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then for us, we think about it as the 3.0 joy span. What's the point of living that long and being healthy, fit and active and mobile if you're miserable, if you're not mm -hmm. having fun, if you don't have friends, if your family doesn't talk to you? And we felt like that conversation has kind of not been in the conversation in our world. And we wanted to, you know, bring it back to joy and intention. Why are we here? What are the things we want to be doing? And just, you know, in all this advancement, this is what we do in our business, in our life. And even Colleen and I started to feel, we can't do all of this. We don't have the time and resources. And if we can't do it, this is our business. How can the normal person? And it became a passion point where, we're, where we said, you know what? We actually think the science where it is today, we can get you to 80% of your maximum well-being with limited time, with limited resources, and you can have fun. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. My journey originally on health and well-being, you know, when I think of over a decade ago, started with one of those personal events that was one of those breakdown moments where you kind of had to seek through your own answers and carve a new life path. So over 10 years ago now, I had a pulmonary embolism. So blood clots have formed in my lungs and really happened out of the blue for me. One of those complete out of nowhere events for me, I was leaving a Strala yoga class from our mutual friend, Tara Stiles. And it was my Saturday morning ritual. And I was walking around the West village. This was back when we lived in New York city and I was having some trouble breathing. So I called Jason to have him come into the city and meet me. We walked around. I was still having some trouble breathing. So we went home on the subway and it was a station that had very steep steps. And I collapsed as I was trying to walk out of the subway station steps. And then I did, after I got out of the subway station, we called my doctor and I did what so many people unfortunately sometimes do, which is I totally gaslit myself and was like, I'm totally fine. I'm just dehydrated. <laughs> right. It'll, it'll warm I'll walk it off. Yeah. Totally. And I was super lethargic, out of body, you know, the rest of the weekend, took naps, things I didn't really do. Come Monday morning, Jason was like, if you go into work, the only way I will let you do that is if you stop at the doctor. <laughs> so I stopped at my GP who was in Soho. And, you know, within a couple of minutes, he's like, you're having a pulmonary embolism. I was like, what, what is that? What does that mean? So he made me a yeah. little note. I'm having a pulmonary embolism. Wasn't quite sure if he didn't think I'd make it to the NYU ER for if he thought I'd be wow. so injured once I was there that I wouldn't be able to communicate what was happening. But I had showers of clots in my lungs and, you know, was really lucky to make it 
through that journey, but it was a start of a very long healing process, a very long, you know, one of those moments where you reassess your life journey and your life path and all the decisions that you're making. And mm-hmm. you know, my wish for people is that they don't have to have this breakdown moment to listen to the whispers in your body and your mind that something's out of whack. Because I do think that the body was giving me a lot of, of clues and whispers that I just kind of shunned away and, and didn't really listen to. And then I had no choice but to. And that was the start of looking at Western, looking at more holistic paths that was very much new to me. But, you know, living in New York, there was a lot of places to explore. And I tried everything to try to feel better, to try to get more in tune with what a well-lived life would mean for me. And the joy of well-being is a roadmap I wish I had 10 years ago when I was starting this journey. I think it would have been a lot more efficient of a journey and would have had a lot better ROI and perhaps perhaps <laughs> a more linear path if I had a little bit more guidance on the foundations and the principles of uh, well-being. Wow. Well, well, you guys have done so much of the legwork for others, you know, just looking at Mind Body Green itself and all of the experts that you bring together. And I've loved how you always, you know, it's a place where you are filtering through a lot of information that's out there, but are open to all opinions. I mean, I remember at the conferences I was at, you would have, you know, vegans and, you know, someone who was passionate about keto there, you know, having a, a friendly debate. And we're having these real conversations that need to be had. And how you also really don't throw all Western medicine out either. I think in a lot of alternative circles, it's easy to do that and to look at, you know, some of the downfalls of Western medicine, but like anything, there's good and bad and all of these tools have their place. You know, it's unfortunate that I think a lot of Western medicine has just lost some of the the humanity part of it. And so it's hard to figure out when you need those tools and how to use them sometimes. But you both have done with your personal stories and experience and with mind body green such a great job i think of using all the tools and seeing what seeing the truth kind of the thread of truth through all of them which i think is is really important yeah and you know what what i forgot to mention about my pulmonary embolism is you know when it happens to a 32 year old woman they they do a battery of tests and you know the the likely culprit was the birth control pills that i was on for for over 10 years and when i wrote a story about it on mind body green it went pretty viral and i heard from hundreds of people whose mother sister cousins had had similar experiences sometimes ending tragically but i'm not against you know western medicine or you know pharmaceuticals in any way i just think it you know for me the larger life lesson was more about listening to your body knowing that you have to be the ceo of it and understanding you know, everything that you're consuming and ingesting and and what are the side effects? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think I also loved your sharing your story of having your children because you went through a long journey there as well. And again, through Eastern and Western medicine, which I know is a struggle that so many people have, but I thought that was another just beautiful example of how, you know, we need the balance of both in order to be able to you know, to figure things out. Yeah, that that was one that was very hard on the both of us. And I played a significant role in this. And (laughs) I shared my story is that the fact that men account for 40% of fertility issues. So it's, it's guys, it's, it's, it's us too. (laughs) You know, we, we had difficulty getting pregnant and sure enough, it was me. And I wasn't producing sperm. And so it wasn't genetic. So 
they believed it was as, like there was a blockage as spermia. So something was blocking the sperm from coming out. And I did a whole battery of tests where they tried to identify there was a, there was one area that was extraordinarily common where the majority of cases experienced a blockage and it wasn't there for me. And so things were looking bleak. And mm. the only other way to know if I was producing sperm was to undergo a procedure where a specialist came in. This is what he what he did. He comes in once a month to a fertility clinic in New York and would cut open your testicles and then try to extract the sperm. And Sounds so like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was. And it was a very, this was like this was it. If we were going to have a biological file. Yeah, and you know, I'll never forget. It was a Saturday morning. This place was uh, a factory, and you know, we're lined up, and we we sit with the the doctor. And for someone who believes in having such a, like having a connection with your doctor, this couldn't be further from it. We sat down immediately. He's already drinking his soda at eight a.m. And he says, <laughs> you know, I hope this works because adopting just really isn't a viable option because the kids oh, have all these problems. And we're just like, we don't believe any of this. I'm like, oh, great. This is the guy who's about to cut open my testicles. Like, right. oh, no, I, I can't. I, I don't like what he's drinking. I don't like what's coming out of his mouth. And he's about to cut me open in a place where You're I'm right. so very vulnerable. That's terrifying. Moment. Yeah, but he was the guy he was mm -hmm. the guy who did this all day and he was a specialist and so we went forward with it and luckily enough you know 12 vials of sperm were there it came out <laughs> and, and you know to, to this day we still don't know where the blockage was and i, I kind of like let it go i went back to the doctor after because mm -hmm. i was like you know okay maybe something changed and he's like why do you care <laughs> it was like maybe it was my homocysteine that was sky high or something else going on. So I think everyone's just everyone, want to know. Yeah. So now they're like, we don't know. And who cares? You have two beautiful, healthy children. But that, that yeah. was the, that was, it wasn't, it was in, in many ways just the starting line. Yeah. That's just to get to the starting line. And we thought mm -hmm. once we got there, that it would be, you know, smooth sailing. But, you know, after that point, it was probably, gosh, three, three more years. Nine, wow. nine transfers and a couple of miscarriages, 15 embryos transferred to get to our first daughter. And, you know, the, the hardest part wasn't the physical part. It was the uncertainty of not knowing and surrendering, which were, you know, words that don't come naturally to me. Uh, yeah. um, and you're trying not to put meaning on something that was really horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really excruciating to go through individually and as a couple and, you know, really brought forward for us, you know, the importance of believing in something bigger because there are these ups and downs in life that you really can't uh, pinpoint a reason to. And I think mm -hmm. in our world too, there are often expectations with around pregnancy where, you know, oh, you're stressed or, you know, have you tried this or that treatment? And I remember we explored everything for me. I remember going to some alternative healers and I was prescribed castor oil and it's like, Oh, this is going to fix it. I'm like, I never fix it, yeah. castor oil. Again. It's like, <laughs> and there are expectations around, well, you know, you could have a natural birth and this, this idea that a lot of people in our space, which you see portrayed on social media. And that just wasn't mm -hmm. in the cards for us at all. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with us. And that's just the way sometimes things go. And I think it's a deeper problem in our world where you know, it's very easy to get an idea or in our heads or become fixated on what 
perfection is, and this is mm-hmm. amplified on social media. And if you don't meet that criteria, you're you're flawed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a great segue. I think this is where, first of all, thank you for sharing your stories so openly, because I know these are all such deeply personal experiences, but they, as you as you see on Mind Body Green, sharing them, I think touches other people who are going through so many similar things. And, and, you know, this concept, like Colleen mentioned of surrender and letting go and believing in maybe something bigger or, or letting go of perfection, letting go of attachment to certain outcomes, I think is so much of my own journey. But what I see with a lot of patients where a lot of what's portrayed on social media or in the world of fitness and wellness about the ways that things should be done or could be done. You know, you can have the perfect sleep routine, the perfect nutrition and every macro and micronutrient. And, you know, you can exercise and do the perfect amount of weightlifting and, you know, CrossFit training, training every, every area of fitness and do your meditation and all of these things. And I think for me also going through, through medical school and then learning about functional medicine, it felt like, wow, this is it. This is the root cause. If we can really get, you know, nutrition and exercise and sleep and stress management all dialed in, that's it. But then realizing that there's a whole deeper layer there about the intention behind it and about the sort of emotional, spiritual health, I think that underlies all of that. Because if you're just trying to perfect every area, you know, often that's going to lead to, I see it lead to more disease, more symptoms, oftentimes. Yeah, I mean, you're you're really getting at kind of our intentional use of the word well-being versus wellness, because wellness to us does seem about optimization, hacking, Mm -hmm. and really, we wanted to shift the conversation to well-being, where you do have to take care of yourself, and then you can think through your family and your community, but it's more about the experiences along the ride than the perfection and optimization for an outcome. And I think you're absolutely right. Nutrition and exercise are foundational. You have to do it. And I think people listening probably have a good idea. Am I eating well or am I exercising enough? You kind of know that. But when it comes to one's emotional health, those are often more difficult questions, more difficult mm-hmm. conversations that can sometimes be very troubling and require a lot of deep personal work. You know, do you have someone to call? in the middle of the night when something hits the fan. If you don't, Mm -hmm. that's you need to ask yourself some questions. And it really speaks to the health benefits of connection and the loneliness epidemic we are facing. And this one really hit home for me. Connection is something, you know, after playing basketball in college, I had so many great friends in, in New York and we all kept in touch. And then you know, started to get a little bit older and started to work a bit more. Then I get married, then kids, and I lost touch with a lot of them. And men traditionally are terrible here. Women are much better than men. And and, and that's a fact. <laughs> um, and so, and I'm one who can get caught up and, you know, I'm wearing my aura, my, my whoop. I do totally. 20 vials of blood twice a year with Frank Lippman. If something's <laughs> off, I'm like, what, we need to get to the bottom of this you know, right. stool test. And, you know, and you know, this one is is one I've had to work on. And there's one of my all-time favorite studies, I think speaks volume. It's the Rosetto study. And Rosetto was this small town in rural Pennsylvania in the 1950s. And this is around the time that heart disease arrives in America, except in Rosetto. 
And so they, they took a closer look. What are these people doing in Rosetto? That's amazing that they're immune from heart disease because those under 65 heart attacks were half of the nation, half that of the rest of the nation, then under 55, men under 55, zero, non-existent. These people must be in incredible shape, eating well. No, they were smoking, they were drinking, they were eating lots of pasta meatballs. This makes no sense. So they take a closer look and they had incredibly strong social connections. They were socializing daily. They were celebrating with parades, parties. The drinking was with family and friends. They had such strong social connections. And then in the 1960s, people start to move away. The community falls apart. Guess what? Heart disease catches up with the national average. And to me, given the loneliness epidemic, the mm-hmm. mental health epidemic, there was this 2019 study out of Cigna that said that only half of Americans had meaningful IRL face-to-face interactions. This is 2019. Imagine what that number is. After 2020, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scary, it's a scary thing to think about. And I think we all felt that in the pandemic, right? There was a huge microscope on that and how much people were craving that real life connection when things open back up again. But yeah. How are, for you, because I know this is, this is something that's hard. Like you said, it's not straightforward. It's not like it's almost the definition is you can't follow a step-by-step algorithm here, but how have each of you started to overcome some of that perfectionism or that striving for control um, and being able to sort of let go and be at, you know, at a place where you're writing a a practical guide about getting the 80% instead of being perfect? I mean, there's, there's been a lot of influences on this journey. And I think the past you know, since 2020, the past three years have obviously impacted our perspective on this immensely. And we've had to be intentional about social connection within our own lives and weaving it in with intentionality. Jason shared, you know, it's how it adversely impacts men. But I feel as a woman, I also have to be intentional about creating those IRL situations and calendaring it in with the same type of intensity um, that I would, you know, nutrition or movement mm-hmm. or, you know, the other foundational principles of health and well-being. What, you know, I found that motivates me now, you know, Jason mentioned that our why has evolved over the past decades. And we have two little girls, and it's hard to be a human right now, but it's <laughs> really hard to be. A young girl and, and boys certainly have their own, you know, obstacles yeah. and struggles right now. But the motivation for us, or for me, I should say, has been heavily influenced by Lisa Miller, Dr. Lisa Miller, who actually lives here in Coconut Grove. Oh, I just love her. I just had her on the podcast and yes. she, yeah, blew my mind. <laughs> as as she it. has done to our yes. Everyone's here. Yeah. Yes. So she found that when the mother and child were both high in spirituality, the child was 80% protected against depression compared mm-hmm. with mothers and children who were not converted for spirituality. And so when mothers and children were high in spirituality, a child was five times less likely to be depressed when spiritual life was shared with a mother. So this whole mental health epidemic that is impacting everyone is, is, you know, something that's very top of mind for us as we think of how we want to live an intentional life and what we want it to look like. And I'm not, you know, someone who's followed organized religion in my life, Jason has, but what I love about Dr. Miller's research is she has such a generous and open definition of spirituality Mm -hmm. and that there's so many ways to tap into this deeper meaning and connection into your life 
It could be prayer. It could be religion. It could be a walk in the woods. It could be a transcendent experience. It could be volunteering, uh, picking up trash, whatever helps you feel clarity and connection beyond your own individual experiences, what brings you closer to these universal truths and experiences. And she's had just, I think, such a profound influence on, on not just the book, The Joy of Wellbeing, but also just, you know, how we live our lives and how we, when we think of our own personal mission statements, you know, it really goes back to our daughters and, you know, the values that we want to strive to embody mm-hmm. in our everyday lives so that they see and can mirror that as they grow older. Oh, I just love that. Yes. I, I just had her on recently and um, I mean, her story blows me away. I, I love the way that she talks about spirituality and, you know, it's so often spirituality is sort of tainted by an individual's um, experiences with organized religion. And, you know, she does such a good job of finding the again, the universal truths through all of it. Um, this love tell guided, never alone principle, which we, I think any of us can think of at least one moment in our lives where we felt something like that. So yes. I just love that. I just love that. What are through your, your journey, through all the people you've worked with individually together as a couple through mind, body, green, who are some of the healers and you don't have to give names. It may be just like types of healers that have had the biggest impact on you. Lisa's the big one. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think to really quantify the impact of spirituality and the role it plays in terms of the mental health benefits, it, it, it's just huge. Mm-hmm. And more specifically because of what we're going through in 2023 with the mental health epidemic, I think mm-hmm. anyone who's got a child or everyone's touched by mental health. And when we have such a, such an issue culturally, and you, when you're talking about five times less likely to experience depression, this is something that should be front page news. Right. Why aren't we? There's no drug that does that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so this is, you know, you don't have to sweat. You don't have to, you know, God forbid, you don't have to go to cross. You don't have to do all that. (laughs) And all those things are fantastic and have real benefits too, in terms of Mm -hmm. mental health. This is a big one. And when you have, you're talking about, you know, walking in nature, you know, volunteering, picking up trash on the road. This is like, we're talking pretty broad here. Yeah. The implications are huge. So she's had, and whenever you can marry, science with spirituality, real hard science, that's really mm-hmm. powerful. Mm-hmm. That, that, she's a she's one that immediately comes to mind. Yes. <laughs> but I would say every you know everyone, I think we've been so blessed over the course of 14 years. We've interviewed hundreds of people, thousands of experts have written for us. And I think at our core, Colleen and I are good at, at filtering and curating. Yes. Identifying those who are credible and those who aren't and taking the best of the best and also distilling it down to the most practical because none of very few people have the time to do everything. Yeah. And and I think that's a big objection. It's always, I don't have the time and I don't have the resources. Well, Mm -hmm. we have a solution. (laughs) Right. And, and, or you get, you get caught in the details without getting the most important things, right? If you're trying to do it all, you could end up spending your time on these little 1% things without addressing the things that are the 80%, you know? Yes. Our, our, our friend JJ Virgin had a, had a we, we borrowed this from her where she says, you know, you gotta, you gotta focus on baking the cake before you put on the frosting. And it feels That's like fair. all caught up in the frosting and we just love cakes, you know? <laughs> 
So that feels, and look, I like the frosting. I got, we have all the gadgets as I sleep. Totally. Our, yeah. Sleep, They're sleep fun. Aura ring and whoop and the, the blood and you, the, yeah. the Genova and you name it. I've, I've tried it. That's all the, right. the icing, but like the, the foundation of the cake is what's really going to get you there. We don't spend enough time on that. Right. And you guys, so that's where I guess we dig into this book. I think I'm holding it up for people who are watching. I'm really excited that it's out today, but but where you have such a unique perspective. So there's so many books out there that people have written about wellness, but so often they're on one, you know, narrow focus, their experience, their expertise. Again, these things that can be conflicting like keto or paleo or vegan, but but you have the perspective of for over a decade filtering through so many of these experts and being quite good at it. I will I will attest to that that really finding the the thread of truth and the the things that really move the needle. And so that's why I think this book is so valuable because you have that bird's eye view, you have that perspective that not everybody does. And you've really distilled it down to, I think, eight different areas that are that 80%. If we can do the basics in those eight areas, that should get us a lot of the way to well-being, to health, to longevity, wellness. So... We've talked about a few of them already, but could you share a little bit more about some of those eight areas? Yeah. Should we kick it off with breath? I think we have to. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, when we talk about, you know, using your energy and resources in the most efficient way to get the best outcome, breath is like the most natural place to start because you are breathing between 17,000 and 30,000 times a day. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that more than half the population is breathing all wrong through their mouth. So if you're looking for a place to start, you know, that will impact all areas of your health, you know, nostril breathing is is the best place to start from an ROI standpoint. It filters out the bad stuff like bacteria and, and viruses, increases your CO2 tolerance. There's just so many wonderful reasons to do it. I really got drawn to breath after my pulmonary embolism because it was the first time that I actually struggled to breathe. And I remember being on New York subways in the summer and, you know, kind of fighting senior citizens for a seat because I was worried about not being able to make it through on a sweaty subway ride home without being out of breath. And as someone who has been prone to anxiety in life, when you think of nostril breathing also as a way to activate the rest and digest system. So instead of your fight or flight system, so that you're automatically, you know, entering life with a little bit more calm once you're nostril breathing, it's, it's had a, such a profound impact on my life life. And when you look at the kind of metrics of our book of it has to be accessible, it has to be easy, you right, have to be free, yeah. in your life free, like here's someplace we can all start. Absolutely. I love that one. And it's something I, to me, it's the easiest place to start. I talk about it with almost every patient. It seems just some simple breathwork techniques that you can do anytime, anywhere that are going to change your nervous system. It's one of the easiest ways to change your state. So um, I love the focus on that. Yeah. And like, if you're not, you can't go without breathing for a couple minutes. <laughs> right. So seem like you're doing it anyway, you might as well do it right. And it really is simple nasal breathing. And in the book, we go into all the different methods. If you want to take it up a notch, like some people do, uh, but, but it, it was the most logical mm -hmm. and there's a downstream effect with the other big one, which is sleep. You know, mm -hmm. you don't breathe for a couple minutes. You're probably not going to be here. If you don't sleep <laughs> for a week, you're probably not going to be here either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a there, there's so many like personal anecdotes, obviously, in the in this book, but you know, in my early 20s, I 
let a work presentation in front of senior executives that would determine a final job placement just spiral out of control in my in my mind. And it had I have a tendency to have an overactive racing mind. And after three nights of not sleeping, I ended up, you know, going to the hospital where they gave me a Xanax. And then I slept, but you know, that mm-hmm. was kind of where my sleep etiquette started and stopped. Mm-hmm. So sleep is something that, you know, is is deeply personal to me. You know, 33% of us have some sort of sleep disorder, the most common of which is insomnia. And, you know, from a health standpoint, you, you never want to get less than five hours of sleep. And if you get three, you, you three days of no sleep like me, you, you might end up in a hospital. So yeah. You know, I'm I'm thrilled that there's such a wonderful conversation around sleep fitness and that, you know, this conversation has become fully mainstream and and fully embraced in, in such a, a wonderful way. And, you know, we are thoughtful about our sleep etiquette. You know, I've made adjustments in terms of getting sunlight earlier in the day. I'm very thoughtful about my caffeine curfew. If people say, you know, oh, stop around 12, I'm probably stopping around like 1030 because I'm so sensitive. Mm-hmm. We're aware of, you know, sleep anxiety and that even having an alarm clock in your room can actually exacerbate those feelings of sleep anxiety. So if you are someone who's prone to sleep anxiety, you should probably throw out, you know, the, the clock. If I don't drink a lot because I did see the impact on my H on my HRV and my sleep from, mm-hmm. uh, from my aura ring. But if I do, I have a margarita at lunch instead of at dinner so that I can get, um, drink earlier, drink earlier. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but practical, right? That's a practical tip. Well, to practical. Still. It's like, look, I think our, our advice with alcohol is if you don't drink, don't start. But if, if you do enjoy a drink with friends, you should have that drink. And our advice is have it Earlier in the Earlier. day. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy it. Have a good one. If it's a bad drink, don't drink it. Have a right. great wine, a great margarita. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there's these wonderful contradictions that, you know, you were talking earlier about people seeing things and thinking, okay, I see this person, I see this expert doing it. You know, the hardest thing to do is to actually take this information, critically think about what you and your body actually need, not just to survive, but actually to thrive and, and apply it to your life in a way that brings you joy. So every sleep expert will tell you, do not watch TV in bed. And, you know, Jason and I intentionally watch great programs in bed <laughs> and break all the sleep rules because it brings a lot of joy Such to revels. <laughs> I know, I know. It us to leave the wellness world and leave the well-being world and, you know, travel to all these wonderful uh, television shows that bring us some joy. We are yeah. mindful about the types of content we watch. <laughs> We tend to stay away from the news, more light programming, uh, watching Drive to Survive, the Netflix show on Formula One. Puts me to sleep. Totally. That's so true, though. You Sometimes you just have to do something that's just for fun. If it's all so structured, do things that bring you joy, right? So nutrition is another area that I know you all have... This is a hot topic, right? It is a religion, politics level debate and always has been. But you, again, have done a great job of cutting through the noise, finding what are the common themes? What are the themes that, you know, are most important for people? So what do you recommend as a starting place and how's that evolved for you? You're absolutely right. This one is full of landmines. It is tricky. It is deeply, deeply personal. And we do believe in bio-individuality. You know, there are some people who can look at steak and their lipid panel goes through the roof. <laughs> right. People who could consume, you know, three steaks a day and be totally fine. And so we do encourage people to, you know, do do some basic blood work to understand where they fit. With all that said, like we do believe in eating in real whole foods. We believe that you should try to avoid, again, 
processed foods happen, but try to avoid ultra processed foods when you, when you can, you know, there's one study from France that's gotten a lot of attention that showed that a 10% increase in consumption of highly ultra processed foods resulted in a 14% increased risk of death. And that's bad news for us in the state. Mm -hmm. That's like two thirds of all calories consumed by kids. Oh, geez. We've got a, a processed foods problem. You know, and I think that that's one where everyone can kind of agree on. I think mm-hmm. we're fiber deficient. Like we need to consume fiber, but we believe in eating the rainbow. We believe in eating high quality animal protein, specifically if you're interested in maintaining or building lean muscle mass. That is just mm-hmm. very important. It's something that I've prioritized as I've aged and started to lose some muscle because I wasn't lifting and now I'm back in this our great gym anatomy which I know you've been to. <laughs> yes. And so that that's a big one and I think it is highly personal and and you know we like to reference two of our friends. So to, to prove this point, one of them is Mark Sisson who's 69 and lives in Miami and go look up Mark on Instagram. He looks phenomenal and feels phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty close to eating a carnivore diet. Uh and then Our other friend, Rich Roll, is 56, and he looks phenomenal and feels phenomenal, but he's 100% plant-based. These two men really have nothing in common in terms of their diet other than they avoid processed food and they both really work out a lot, probably way too much. (laughs) And so we just really encourage people to to really eat whole foods and find find, find what works for them. And we have some ideas on how to approach that in the book. Love that. How about movement? I know each of your movement practices have also evolved over the years. I know last time we talked, Jason, you were you shared a lot about your story with your back and how much yoga had helped you. But can you talk a little bit about movement and what you're recommending there? I mean, you talked a little bit about the the tribalism and nutrition, and there's a a tribalism within movement now too. And we shared a stat on the Mind Body Green Instagram that definitely shifted my perspective on on movement. But you know, the the comments definitely kind of blew us away on this one because if you if it's the first time you're hearing this stat, it is very staggering. Which is, if you're over 65, there's a 25 percent chance that you'll fall, and if you do fall, studies show that your chances of falling again double. And if you fall and break your hip, then there is a 30 to 40% chance that you will die within a year, not from the fall, but from all the things related to the fall from hospital infection, whatever it may be, depression. And that stat shifted my whole perspective on movement. And I think in the in the 2010s, being in, in New York, which was a mecca of the wellness and well-being world, there was such a movement around Pilates and yoga, which are wonderful parts, you know, movement routine. But that focus on building up my armor for the type of body that I want to have in 30 to 40 years so that I can be there to break the fall, so that I can carry my, if my children have children, you know, grandchildren, you know, proudly and, and building up that armor. So that stat has has fully changed kind of how I think about training. And, and now I'm much more mindful about incorporating kettlebells, weights, and resistance training into, into movement. And sarcopenia is a lot more common than you think. You lose 1% of bone density a year after age 40. And if you make mm-hmm. it age 80, there, half of people living in their 80s are living with sarcopenia. This hit home for me. You mentioned, you know, we we spoke a while ago. It was yoga, yoga, yoga. <laughs> and I did a little resistance training, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And then in the process of writing this book, I got on the scale and I noticed I'd lost some weight and it didn't make sense. Everything kind of fit the same. And then I looked in the mirror 
And then I noticed, oh my God, I lost my, you know, once basketball butt from college. <laughs> it's gone. And then I said, well, actually, this kind of makes complete sense because I never really liked doing legs. So I stopped doing any resistance training on legs like 25 years ago. So mm. and you know, hearing that stat, it was a wake up call. So I'm back in, back in the gym and also doing, you know, some body weight exercises to, to get my, to get my legs and my, my butt back, but it was a wake up call. You know, I'm 48, not the spring chicken that I used to be. Totally. Well, good I thing have, you had that wake up call now and not and, you know, 10, 20 we, years from now. Yeah. We live in Miami. So, you know, the, <laughs> those but, things um, matter. But, but, like, yeah. But, but as, as aesthetics <laughs> aside, it was a wake up call. It could happen to anyone. It started to happen to me and it's more difficult as you age. And so yeah. I'm back in the gym. And, and again, it's about longevity. It's like, what do I want to be doing? 40 years right. or kids are little. So I want to be able to pick up a 30 pounder and be able yeah. to squat with that child and move around and you need leg strength. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I'm sure all the, the CrossFitters listening are happy to, <laughs> happy to hear about that with, you know, our emphasis on functional movement. And, and I think what a great example with that stat on, okay, if we focus, if we, if we're hyper-focused on, you know, every, I don't know, sleep metric and, making sure we have the latest technology and all these things, but we have failed to get enough protein and weight bearing exercise. And then we fall at age 65 and break a hip. Then like, think about how much energy we've spent on things that maybe weren't the highest yield. And so that being one that, you know, that stat is pretty mind blowing just to think about how, how big of an impact it can make. It is. And unfortunately, anecdotally, we know a number of people that have been affected by this where a family member is older and falls and it's really mm -hmm. led to a rapid decline. It, it's real. It's hard to recover from if you don't have the, the resilience. Yeah, for yes. sure. So speaking of resilience, uh, you're, you know, next talk about stress resilience. And so there's so many aspects to this, but what are some, some kind of practical tips for, for this area? So this was an interesting one, you know, for us. And we got a, why are you including this from our publisher? <laughs> so, you know, we, we talk a lot about cold therapy. You know, it's, it's a great hormetic stressor. There's tremendous science there. It's very popular. It's all the rage with mm -hmm. cold plunges that people do in cold, cold showers and cold baths. But we don't do it. <laughs> we don't do it because it doesn't bring us joy. Joy. Yeah, there you go. You know, I, I do think, and look, we encourage everyone to try it and, and look for a lot of people. They're not going to like it, but they're like, you know what? I like, I can kind of work it into my routine and it's in the book because it's accessible. We're talking like a couple minutes. If you can do this in a cold shower or a cold bath, or you can afford a cold plunge, no brainer. Mm -hmm. Cause like the return on investment in terms of your time is really powerful. The benefits are, are real in terms of longevity, but it doesn't bring us joy. And so we don't do it. And I think people sometimes in our space won't talk about things that, that they don't do. And we're like, we're open. We don't do it. We're not going to pretend to do it. If right. you get, go for it. The benefits are amazing, but you know what? It doesn't bring us joy. And there is an expectation in our space where like, you have to do everything and you have to be perfect, but you know what? Mm -hmm. You don't, if mm -hmm. you don't like cold punches, don't do it. If you're a little bit uncomfortable, I do think you need to be comfortable with being uncomfortable to some extent. But the reality is we have a problem with like, adding things into our lifestyle that really don't fit in our lifestyle. And that's why mm -hmm. January 13th is quitters day <laughs> at the gym. Cause they sign up for, uh, they, they, they make promises that they can't keep. Right. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. And it gives you more credibility that you would include it and talk about it and just say, you know, we don't do it because it doesn't bring us joy. So that's cool. <laughs> 
So the last three, I think we could cover together. They're, you know, talking about connection, which is something Mind Body Green has always been about this connection with the world, with nature, with the fact that we are all connected, which again goes back to Lisa Miller. But, you know, that part being connected to the earth, also being connected with people, as we've touched on already, and the the Rosetta story, and then purpose finding finding and seeking your purpose and aligning your life and your actions with that. So how do you um, describe these three sort of where do they fall in the grand scheme of the book? So I think in, in terms of there's this greater idea of connection in general, you know, after all, we're mind, buddy, green, one word, not three. <laughs> and we do have this belief we're not a closed system. We're open to the world, what we bring inside, what we eat what we drink, what we breathe. And when you understand that on an intellectual, emotional, and spiritual level, you kind of understand that things need to change. I think in the environmental conversation, we could have gone like numerous ways and and it could be quickly become an episode of Portlandia uh, where you're just not doing enough. And I think for us, we tried to focus on a couple of areas. One is food waste, which is huge. And that is as simple as making sure you eat the food you buy and maybe don't overorder. Or, you know, we love vegetables here. And so we buy frozen vegetables. One, they're less, they're they're inexpensive, and two, they're cheaper. And if you're busy meal planning, that like this is real. There's a shelf life. If you buy something fresh versus frozen, uh, much longer. Uh, that's a big one. And then something else in the research of the book was surprising to us was fast fashion. And so mm-hmm. fast fashion, we had originally thought was for people who were lower income. That's, those aren't the people buying fast fashion. They're people with plenty of disposable income. They were just like buying tons of clothes. <laughs> and the waste there is considerable. And so our, our view there is just buy items of clothing you really like and mm-hmm. that lasts without, you know, so like focusing on areas which I think feel manageable. And so that's how we kind of thought about the environmental piece in terms of what was the other, sorry, I lost my train. Connection and purpose. I know we talked about connection a little bit and then purpose was the last one. The connection and purpose chapters are, are really our favorite chapters of the book because we think they're also the most under talked within the health and wellness world. We hear so much about, you know, health and fitness influencers, you know, who knows what a connection influencer looks like or acts like. And when you look at, you know, some of the science, you know, exercise can lower your mortality risk by 20, 20%. Having a good diet is more or less the same at 30%, but being in a good romantic relationship, having friends, being connected to your community can lower your mortality risk by 45%. So it's, Connection is probably the most important drug that we're not talking enough about. Mm -hmm. And they're muscles that we have to build in terms of being comfortable reaching out to friends, making new friends and prioritizing community, which is something that, you know, living in a new city for the first time in 13 years, they're muscles that, you know, we've had to build, that we've had to put ourselves in situations that maybe would have felt awkward or out of place a couple of years ago, because that is such a foundational pillar for ourselves and our family. Yeah. And I think, you know, just a practical tip, something that I've employed, like I've lost touch with a lot of people. And the question is, well, how do you do that? It used to be a long time ago. God forbid you have to pick up your phone right. and call someone and say, hey, well, who is this? Who's calling me? <laughs> now, one, a wonderful aspect of technology is texting where, you know, mm-hmm. we talked to the the relationship expert, Esther Perel, about this. And our advice was really sound and simple. It's a simple text. Hey, so-and-so, it's been too long. 
thought about you for X, Y, and Z. How are you? Would love to reconnect. Simple as that. And you will be surprised about how that, how quickly that response will usually come. And you will, mm-hmm. you will gauge also very quickly, is this person interested in reconnecting or not? Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to do via text. And that's something I'm working on. <laughs> you know, and, and bringing it back to purpose, I think this is a loaded word for, for a lot of people and can often you know, mean on Instagram, quitting your job and going to Bali and doing (laughs) the whole eat, pray, love thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, for us, it's a little bit more simpler, you know, asking the questions, you know, why do you get out of bed in the morning? You know, do you feel like you have a higher calling? Do you feel useful and relevant? Are you caring for other people? Are you looking forward or are you looking backward? And there was a great tip we got from Arthur Brooks, the phenomenal expert on this subject where he said, you know what, you should write a mission statement, try to articulate what purpose means. And and this speaks to intention. You know, we don't want to just live a long time. What is our purpose? What do we want to be doing? Be a little bit more thoughtful about your why. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that's had something that has had a huge impact on me and many of those you know, harder times in life that's come out of that and has evolved over the years. And and can make such a big difference being able to connect to that why, whatever it is, and as it evolves over time. And with the connection too, I think that's something that I also have really had to put a lot of effort in. I think we sometimes we go through early life and connections are so natural because it happens where we go to school or the sports teams, like you said, Jason, or where we work. And now all of a sudden we're working remote and we're just not seeing people as regularly. And so for me, I think mine came a lot because I was so hyper-focused on, you know, my own, like, you know, school and residency and CrossFit. And so really let a lot of those connections fall to the wayside. And it takes effort to reconnect. And again, to figure out who are the people that you really, like you say, you really want to be surrounded with um, and that bring you positive energy and that you feel like are on the same path. And so that's been really impactful for me. So it's cool to hear you guys talking about that as well. Now, this is a a practical guide. And I love how you talk about, you know, yourself making yourself the CEO of your own well-being. So how do you recommend, let's say somebody's just starting down this path, or they're maybe doing a couple of these things, but how do you recommend people pursue this journey toward well-being? So I like to think about it as editing rather than adding. So I think you need to take a realistic look at your life, what that entails, whether it's work, partners, kids, whatever it is, and thinking about where your opportunities are within that day and being realistic about it. I think people go awry when they start adding a whole bunch of things around it, time they don't necessarily have. So I would encourage everyone to start there and start thinking about where areas where I can work where I can edit, you know, for example, I take the stairs, anything under five flights, I take the stairs and it doesn't take a lot of time. We're talking like less than a minute and and maybe if we're out of shape, it takes a little bit longer, but everyone has that time. If you're in a high rise building, you're probably waiting longer than that. So that's like an example of I have the time I'm working it into like my commute. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think being honest and assessing where you are and being kind to yourself along the way, our goal with the book is to provide you a number of tools and tips And then, you know, you need to identify like, these are the things that resonate with me. I can find joy in and integrate them into my life. I think a lot of the conversation is about adding. And I think 
more of the conversation and our goals to be about editing into your lifestyle. Yeah. And if you're you're unsure where to start, I'd I'd read the joy about well-being and the eight pillars, but treat them as opportunities for self-assessment. So, you know, ask yourself, okay, how how am I doing on sleep? And if you're a phenomenal sleeper, then that's probably not where you should be investing for the highest yield. You need to be thinking more about those areas of your life where you need a little bit of help and focus on those places that are going to have the highest ROI first, because you can't focus on everything at the same time as mm-hmm. someone who literally is in this business. Mm-hmm. Well, I can, I've, I've found that to be true. And then I think being able to connect to that question of what brings you joy. There's so many times in our life where we've been on a treadmill of work, achievement, perfection, priorities, whatever it may be, but making sure that you're in touch with whatever it is that brings you joy and connects you to that higher calling and purpose in life. I love that. And on that note, that has been a personal goal of mine as well, is to do more things purely for the sake of joy, because I tend to find things that have secondary benefits, whether they're for health or fitness or anything else. And so I'm curious for you, what are some of the things that you have found that bring you the most joy that you incorporate? You know, moving to Miami was partly for our children and partly for ourselves as, as humans, this is a city that, you know, brings us more joy because of the connectivity to nature, because of the ability to be outside and because of the ability to be more active. So playing pickleball brings us a lot of joy. I wish we were able to play more being at the beach with our daughters and, you know, having our feet in the sand, building a sandcastle, going in the water, brings us a lot of joy. You know, you talk about those secondary benefits, which I think our brains may be wired the same way because I also mm-hmm. love that it, you know, takes our phones away from us. You yeah. can't literally be on the beach and be scrolling and, you know, kind of wasting time on, on social media when you're there. And it forces you to really be present in that joyful moment. And for me, walking on a beautiful sunny day is just heaven for me. If I don't get my 10,000 steps, I'm just in a bad mood. And (laughs) walking is just one of the most underrated practices out there. There are cognitive, cardiovascular benefits. Uh, Do it with a friend. You know, that's always a great way to marry connection uh, with cardiovascular, you can do mm-hmm. interval walking, you could do zone two walking. Uh, there are so many ways you can do it, but that's just like one of my all-time favorite things to do. I basically. love it. It's a, it's hard, it's hard not to find the secondary benefits, <laughs> right. And things to bring you joy. But I think that question is so important, right? Like, is, is this truly bringing me joy or am I feeling like I have to do this because X, Y, and Z. So I love that. I love that. Well, I know we are just about out of time. We'll do a lightning round of the three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So we'll see. I'd have to look back and see what your answers were before, Jason. I'm sure they've evolved. But what's the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis um, that have the biggest impact on your health? I drink black coffee. It, it, it helps wake me up. They're fantastic. Probably health. has a positive impact on everybody else's health rich, around you too. Rich, I'm guessing. Exactly. Rich in polyphenols. <laughs> or so many studies. Uh, so that's a big one. Uh, walking is a big one. I got to get my steps in. And I do a hybrid of breath work and meditation every day. And that's kind of what the day brings. If I have... It used to be pre-kids. I would you know, do my 20 minutes every day, twice a day. Then now it's more like I have a minute there maybe to do the mindfulness, maybe to be some breath work, or maybe I can do 10 minutes. But those are the three I do every day, no matter what. 
How about you, Colleen? Sleep, nostril breathing. And then something that is a work in progress for me is getting my 30 grams of protein at every meal. Love it. Oh, it is. It requires a lot of attention. A lot of attention. We're going to slug some protein right after this. That's great. That's great. Well, (laughs) Well, today is the day of the book launch. So super exciting that people listening can go out and find it today. Where can people find the book and learn more about what you all are doing? Sure. They can go to thejoyofwellbeing.com or to Amazon or your favorite uh, book retailer. Love it. And where can people find you aside from Mind Body Green? Uh, At Jason Wachab and at Colleen Wachab and all things Mind Body Green as well. (laughs) Love it. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for being here today. I loved reconnecting with you. I love all the work you're doing, all the heavy lifting to sift through so much information to give people this practical guide and to give such great perspective um, on, you know, it's truly about so much more than just perfecting all these health behaviors, but it's about the joy and the fulfillment that you have in life along the way. Well, you are very kind. It's so great to see you and we hope to see you in real life very soon. Yes. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.